Hey everyone, it's Will from Game On. How are you doing? Guess what? I got something new for you today. This is not going to be a sports episode. I know typically that's what we have on here, sports, sports betting, all that fun stuff. But I'm doing something new, and I am created a new YouTube channel, and it's all about reviews. And the first thing I'm doing is reviewing um, The House of the Dragon, but it's the book, Fire and Blood, that it's based off of. Well, part of it. And I'm going chapter by, by chapter. And I'm going to be reviewing each chapter. I'll read it, and then I'll do a review and do a video. And I figured, hell, I'm going to put the audio version here on the podcast. Now, yes, I know um, this is a sports betting podcast, so if, if, if that's all you're here for, great. Okay? Just skip over these episodes. But if you like House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones and all that stuff, then come check out my new show. As of right now, I'm just going to post the audio version on this podcast mainly because I don't want to create a new podcast. But if there is a demand for it, I will eventually separate it. But if you want to follow the video version, just go over to my main YouTube channel, which I'm, I'm sure you're already uh, a member of at youtube.com forward slash game on podcast. And then uh, on my main page, you'll see uh, a link to my other one. It's called Game On Review. And we're going to be doing a bunch of fun things over there. Um, but first, I'm starting off with some Game of Thrones stuff. So if that's something that interests you, great check it out now here is uh here's everything for the first chapter that i did of fire and blood hope you enjoy it hbo has a new hit series out called house of the dragon now as a game of thrones fan i was a little skeptical about getting hyped up for this series because of the way season eight ended but i gave it a shot and so far, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's set, we're seven episodes in right now, and even with all the time jumps, the character changes, I am really enjoying the show so much so that I wanted to read the book that it's based off of, Fire and Blood. The series is only going to be a few chapters out of out of that book, but there's so much more great story in that book, and I figured, hell, I'm going to read it. But here's the problem: like many of you out there. I just don't have the time. I got little kiddos running around all day. I got a full-time job. It's the middle of football season. <laughs> I got another YouTube channel that I run that focuses on sports. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this book, starting this new channel here, and I'm hoping that there's other people out there that just don't have the time to read it like me, and I'll be able to summarize the chapters for you. So I'll read a chapter, and I'll do a video on it, and then I'll let you guys know uh, just the breakdown of the chapter and I appreciate some feedback. If you guys have comment, if you like the videos, you like this, subscribe to the channel and you like the video, share it out there. And, uh, if you've read the book, listen, give me some feedback. Let me know what I missed. Cause I'm certainly not going to be perfect on any of this, but I'm going to give it a shot. So we're going to read this or I'm going to read this book and I'm going to, going to lay it out for you guys exactly how, how it plays out. So let me know what you think, and uh, we're going to start with chapter one in this video, Aegon's Conquest. So the chapter starts out with talking about when, like establishing the timeline. It's BC and AC, so before conquest and after conquest for, for Aegon. And there's an argument already about when the timeline actually starts, meaning a lot of the people say that the day that Aegon put or step foot on in Westeros that was in began battling. That was when his conquest started. But actually Aegon himself seemed to have declared it when he was crowned by the High Septon, 
which was nearly two years later after he first began battling. So there's a little two year gap, some people say. So he actually was, con you know, starting his conquest before AC, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of confusing, but, you know, they wanted to point it out. So, all right. So when reading this chapter, I kind of noticed it bounces around all, all over the place. You kind of like, it'll say one thing, say another, and, and then say another thing, and it ties back into the thing it said before. Definitely have to read it a few times, or at least for me. But uh, it goes into the Targaryens and how they're dragon riders. But they weren't the only dragon riders out there. They were actually kind of the lesser uh, family, I guess. And it all started when... Uh, What's his name? Um, <laughs> Anar Targaryen. There we go. Anar Targaryen. And by the way, if I'm getting any of these names wrong, I apologize. Comment below. Tell me how to pronounce them. I'm, I suck at pronouncing names. So I'm just going to do it, and uh, you guys can correct me as I go. Anar Targaryen. He, uh, he, so they, they were, the Targaryens were from a great, great city, the greatest city in the world, Valeria. And he decided to leave that city, and it was very, very frowned upon. And, uh, you know, they, they looked foolish for doing so, but Anar took, he sold all his stuff, took his family, took five dragons with them and he left and he went to Dragonstone. Why did he do that? Well, it's because his daughter, Daenys Targaryen, is that right? Yeah. Daenys Targaryen had a vision, had a dream that Valeria was going to be destroyed by fire. And she later became known as Daenys the Dreamer because of this. Because yes, they, that's exactly what happened. Valeria was destroyed by fire. Now, it took 12 years. They left a little bit early. <laughs> 12 years too early, but it did happen eventually. 12 years after uh, Aenar Dargarian left and, and went to Dragonstone, Valeria destroyed in fire. And now the Targaryens were the only dragon riders left. And so then they teamed up with several of their close allies, uh, the Valerians of, of uh, Driftmark, uh, who kind of manage things by sea while the Targaryens manage things by air. It's kind of a great combo, if you ask me. And one thing that they pointed out in the, the book was um, they didn't, the Targaryens didn't go look at Westeros uh, for 100 years after that. They didn't have their eyes set over there. It, it wasn't even a thought at that point, which is kind of strange. Um, but they, uh, to begin with, they at least were going to leave the Seven Kingdoms alone. And then we get into Aegon Targaryen, who was born in 27 BC. So if we actually do the math on that one, if he's born in 27 BC and he landed in Westeros two years roughly before he was actually crowned by the High Septon, that means he was 25 years old when he went on his conquest. That's pretty amazing. That's a guy definitely destined for greatness. I mean, if you ask me. And... uh he, he achieved it for sure, but 25 years old. So let's they get into a little bit more about um, uh, Aegon Targaryen. So they jump right into his sisters. He's got an older and a younger sister. The older is Visenya, and the younger is Rhaenys. So he's the middle. Now, Targaryen tradition is that he's going to marry his sisters, or sister. And usually it's he, only marry, he would marry the oldest, Visenya. But he actually married both. Now... It was not unprecedented. It had happened before, but it is very uncommon. But it is said that he married Visenya out of duty, but married Rainies out of desire. Now, remember, I say they do some back and forth stuff. So next we talk about the dragons that came with Aenar. You know, the guy that left the city, sold everything, left. Aenar Targaryen brought five dragons with them. Only one of them has survived at the point 
by the time Aegon was was going on his conquest, and that was Beleriand the Black Dread. Um, there was two other ones that did hatch while they were on Dragonstone, and that was Vagar and Meraxxus. Meraxxus and Vagar might sound familiar if you were watching House of the Dragon because they are in House of the Dragon. Now the story goes and focuses on Westeros, and it just basically gives you all the background of Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms, stuff that we kind of already know, so I'm going to skip kind of through that part. The main thing they want to let you know is at this point, the Seven Kingdoms, there was always two or three kingdoms battling each other. It was constant war, and the people who lived in these kingdoms really didn't like it because they were in constant war. Things could get destroyed at any time, and you know, rations, there's a short food supply, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of chaos. It's kind of like barbaric tribes going at each other, you know, just whenever they get mad at each other. So next we get into some of the kingdoms that are the two closest kingdoms next to Dragonstone. And they play a role in what kind of gets Aegon's attention. So you have the king of Storm's End, Argilac the Arrogant. And once again, if I'm getting that name wrong, I apologize. And then you have Heron the Black. So you have some interesting things with these two kingdoms is they're they're constantly at battle with each other and you have our look the the arrogant who used to be a great warrior i mean he's he's old now they say he is his beautiful black hair or something like that is now gray whatever he's old he's at the end of his time and the problem with him is he doesn't have an heir he just has a daughter he doesn't have a son to take over anything and that kind of makes him vulnerable to Heron the Black, who is gaining power, gaining momentum. And everyone fears Heron the Black because of how cruel and mean this guy is. He's also, Heron the Black at this time is finishing up building his great big castle. You might have heard of it, Heron Hall. It's almost complete. So, Argilac is vulnerable, and he knows it, and he's got to do something. And he's got this, this, this kid... I guess to him it'd be a kid in Aegon who's got a dragon who's pretty powerful and that's nearby. And he goes, well, what can I offer him? So he goes to Aegon and he offers him his daughter. And along with it comes all these this land. He gave him a bunch of land, all these different territories that he could, is now under his control. A couple problems with that. One, Aegon's already got two wives. Why does he need another? He also... They, they, you know, they keep it in family. So probably not a wise choice there. And two, Aegon claimed, well, not all that land that you're offering me is yours to actually give. Some of it might actually belong to Heron the Black. So you're kind of giving me land that's not, not yours. So Aegon countered. He said, listen, I'll take that land that you're offering me. And then I want some of this other land over here. I'll take that too. And we'll seal the deal I'm not going to marry your daughter, but my best friend, my right-hand man, Ori's Baratheon, is like a brother to me. You can marry, she can marry him, and that'll, that'll, that'll do. Now, of course, Argilac was furious because Ori's is, I guess, expected to be is, is, is a bastard, and so that was super disrespectful to someone of royalty. And Argilac was so mad that he cut off the envoy's hands and sent them back to Aegon. Aegon had no reply for this. Instead, he called up his bannermen and he had them meet him at Dragonstone. And they, they sat there and they had counsel and they discussed what they were going to do. And on the seventh day, it was said that a bunch of ravens flew out of Dragonstone and went all across Westeros. And in it, 
The message was, from now on, the seven kingdoms has one king, Aegon the Conqueror. And his message was, if you bend the knee, you can keep your titles and your land. If not, well, good luck. I got a dragon. Or, as Aegon said it, you will be thrown down, humbled, and destroyed. And so, Aegon and his sisters and his bannermen, they set forth, they, they sailed to Westeros, and they landed. And, and you know, they're arguing, uh, it's not clear of how many men he had. Some say 3,000, some say just a few hundred. But what he did have was three dragons, because remember, him and his two sisters are dragon riders. So, they land. Of course, they get a little pushback, but they, they end up taking care of that. And then the story jumps in and wants to tell you, hey, before we get into all the battling, let's talk about these these three characters here and they're all siblings but let's talk about how they are character wise and, and and how they are as a fighter so Vicinio is the old is the oldest sister and she's claimed to be as good of a fighter as as Aegon they say that she's as comfortable in chainmail as she is in silk I, I thought that was a great line and that uh she's got what was it a uh, her she's got a valerian longsword called dark sister she likes to dabble in the dark magics and poison too and they say that she's like cruel um unhinged and unforgiving very stern and serious uh so she's she's a pretty ruthless fighter is how they paint her Rainey's the youngest sister is actually the, the exact opposite she's not much of a fighter she likes poetry dancing song all that kind of stuff not much for the one-on-one -on -one combat but one thing about her is she's the best writer of the bunch she spent more time on dragonback than any of both of her siblings combined so she can fly a dragon very very well now there's rumors about Rainey's that when when Aegon's not around. She likes to keep some extra company in her bed tramers. And, and it's just rumors. They just let you speculate on it. But they do also point out in the book that, uh, you know, Aegon married her out of desire. And also Aegon spent for every 10 days that Aegon spent with Rhaenys, he spent one day with Visenya. So clearly he has a favorite. And then we get into Aegon himself. He's got a Valerian steel sword called <laughs> Blackfire. He's one of the greatest fighters in the lands. But here's the thing. He does not show off. He's the exact opposite of, of uh, Jamie Lannister that we've seen in Game of Thrones, right? So he doesn't go to any tournaments. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't brag about how good he is. He is just a great fighter one of the best. It sounds like he's naturally gifted. So he's not like Jamie Lannister who's out there, you know, boasting that he can he can beat anyone in a duel, right? He's a little bit more humble than that. Aegon's dragon is Balerion the Black Dread as we said earlier. And Aegon doesn't really have any friends. Ori's Baratheon who I mentioned earlier as well. He he's about his only good friend he's about the only one out there other than his sisters and he kind of that's how he likes it and so he trusts Ori's is like a brother to him is the vibe i get from what they're they're saying in the book now there's three things that uh characteristically he stands out way different than any of the characters or kings or rulers that we've seen in game of thrones so he's he's way unlike them uh one he's very he they say that he's faithful to his sisters i know that sounds weird to say on on here but you know what i mean but he's faithful to them he doesn't he doesn't go sleep with any other women he doesn't have any bastard children nothing like that he just stays faithful to his sisters so definitely different than what we've seen with like robert baratheon in season one of game of, game of thrones right yeah two he doesn't he he doesn't 
get into the nitty gritty of ruling. He, he puts people in place. He puts people in, he give, gives them spots, gives them, you know, your master of coin, all this stuff, but he just lets them work. He'll step in when he needs to step in like a parent that needs to, you know, scold a child or something like that, but he'll step in when he needs to. He's not afraid to, but he doesn't need to be in the know on every little thing. He kind of likes to rule from a distance and just let everyone else manage things, which I think we'll see why he likes to do that come later on. And third, he is so forgiving. He doesn't care if you get, and we'll see this. We'll see a lot of this. He doesn't care if he just battled you 10 minutes ago. If you're not dead yet and you eventually bend the knee, he will, he will say, okay, great. And it's not just you bent the knee. Okay, great. You get to live. No, you get to have your titles. You get to have the lands and you get to rule over here. Like everything's back to normal. It's kind of amazing. And we're going to see a lot of examples of that in this chapter alone. And I don't know what the chapter is coming up, but just in this chapter alone, I can tell you, we, we see a lot of it. Okay. So now they're, they're in, they're in Westeros and they're, they're getting their council together and they're getting their home base set up and they're getting their planning. So he's got to give you a point, someone, a master of ships, someone master of this master of that kind of have a strategy in place what they're going to do. And then this is what he says here. And I like that. I'm going to just read from the book on this one. And Ori's Baratheon, he proclaimed to be my shield, my steward, my strong right hand. Thus Baratheon is reckoned by the maesters, the first King's hand. So this is where the hand of the King started right here. Ori's Baratheon was the first hand of the King. I thought that was pretty cool. So now everyone's got their titles, but one thing that they need is they need a crown Aegon. So that's what the sisters do. They crown Aegon and everyone cheers. But one thing that the book pointed out that I thought was very interesting, it wasn't just his people that's cheering. It's the people that he just conquered. And there's, there's this little area, the, the town folk, the common people, they're cheering him on. They love this guy already. And I think we're going to find out why later on. But, and I think it has to do with, with how merciful he is and you know, I think also these people are just tired of war. And if this guy can come and unite the seven kingdoms by, by golly, let's do it. And let's have some peace in the realm. I think that plays part of it too. So now they're setting off and the plan is you got Aegon's going to take some people go this way. His, one of his sisters is going to take some boats and ships go that way. The other sister going to take some, they're all going to go conquer a little area on their own. And one thing that is interesting is that he kind of comes out a little lackadaisical in all of them. Uh, they, they suffer heavy losses early on. Remember, they don't have that big of an army. And it seems like they kind of get punched in the face and kind of a little stunned for a second. But then the book says, well, Aegon was like, well, they don't have an answer for our uh, for our dragons. And the dragon just let loose. And, and it's not just that he has dragons. We're going to find out in some of these other battles too coming up. Aegon's very strategic. And... He's very smart and he plans ahead, especially for someone that's 25, <laughs> right? But he plans ahead. And so uh, he, he's able to conquer this area very easily. And he's starting to gain more and more uh, bannermen, more and more troop, more and more people switching sides. So now we turn back to our friend from earlier, Heron the Black. Now he, like I said, he has been building up a lot of territory and whatnot, but he has been known as that cruel ruler. And so when Aegon shows up, Heron calls all his bannermen. Well, his bannermen say, mm, nah, you know what? I'm going to go with this guy because he says as long as I bend the knee, I, I get to keep everything I have. I'm fine. Hell, I might even get a promotion. And the first group to turn on him was Lord Edmund Tully of Riverrun. How about that? That was a domino effect, and it just went one after another. They all turned on him. So now 
King Heron the Black was outnumbered. He's outnumbered, right? Uh, so what does he do? Well, he's got this great big castle called Heron Hall that he just built, and he buckles up in there. He's got enough, apparently he's got enough food supply. They can live in there forever. He thinks he's safe because it's built of stone. It's super tall, super big, uh, very thick, that, that, that the dragon's not going to be able to do anything to him. Which is kind of strange because what are you going to do? You're just going to wait? It's not like you're just going to wait him out for how long? You're just never going to leave your castle? I mean, he can go conquer all the other stuff by then. I mean, it's just strange. But even then, Aegon shows up and he offers mercy. Let's, let's take a look at it. He says, Aegon says, yield now. And you may, you may remain as lord of the Iron Islands. Yield now and your sons will live to rule after you. I have 8,000 men outside, plus a dragon. Don't forget about the dragon. And then Heron says, what is outside my walls of no, is no concern to me. Those walls are strong and thick. And Aegon goes, well, it's not, it's not so tall enough that a dragon can't fly up there. But Heron goes, it's built in stone. Stone does not burn. And then this is where Aegon, Aegon's like, all right, listen, I tried. I'm not going to play this game with you. And he says this line, when the sun sets, your line shall end. <laughs> How about that? Wow. That's strong. So this made Heron very mad. He goes inside. He starts screaming, says, whoever can go kill that, that the dragon rider, if you kill him, I'll give you any woman in the realm, blah, blah, blah. You know, he sounds like a desperate man. So sunset comes. Aegon says, all right. Goes up with this dragon, comes down, and it says that uh, Balerion, his his fire was black, black with little bits of red in it, and it was just hammering the, the stone, and, and and it started catching everything on fire that was not stone. It was it was catching wool, uh, oils, uh, wood, all that other stuff, grains. It was catching all that on fire. So you got a lot of smoke going on there. But then it said that the fire was so strong that it actually was melting the stone. <laughs> How insane is that? They said that the, it looked like f candles burning in the night, but candles that are twisted and melting like this. You could see in the night the walls of Heron Hall just glowing like five candles because of the five towers, like five candles just burning because that's how hot the fire was coming out of the dragon. Pretty insane. Heron the Black and all his sons and everyone died inside. They died from the smoke and, the, and probably burned too. And, and a lot of people died and it just took Aegon and his dragon to do that. So now, who gets rewarded for this? Well, of course, Edmund Tully, right? He, he, he was the first to turn. He showed loyalty, and so Aegon says, as I said, you can uh, you are now Lord of the Trident. This area is yours. The Tully family. How the guy is a man of his word. He shows shows mercy. Gotta respect it. Well, news of Heron the Black's death had spread and got to um Argilac the Arrogant, and he was furious. And he was saying, Listen, I'm not gonna die like that guy in my castle and wait for him to come here. So King Argilac, he got up on his horse and some bannermen, and he rode out to meet his enemies. He rode from Storm's End one last time to go meet his enemies in the battlefield. Problem with that is uh, Rhaenys was up on her dragon, so she could see when the Lord left uh, Storm's End. So it gave Ori's Baratheon plenty of time to set up and get in proper position. 
And where they were fighting here, it was, I guess it was really wet and really sloppy and really muddy, and they were up on a hill. So um, Argilac, when they got there, they they were outnumbering, I believe it was two to one, uh, Ori's Baratheon and, and, and the army there. But they had to charge up the hill, charge up the hill, and it said it took four tries to go up that hill, and that was finally it. And then eventually, King Argilac was knocked off his horse by uh, Rainy's dragon. And then he was face-to-face with Ori's Baratheon. And even then, Ori's Baratheon said, listen, put everything down, bend the knee, and, and w- you can go back to Storm's End and rule, and you, you can everything as is. And I think there's a reason why he's called Argilac the Arrogant. He wasn't, he wasn't going to do that. And he said, no way, no how. And they fought. And it was a good battle, but Ori's Baratheon won. And immediately when the king died, uh, all of his soldiers out there, they just, everyone tossed everything down and said, okay, yep, we, we surrender. We, we give up. We bend the knee. And they were spared. And they were spared, as, as promised. Now, back at Storm's End, not so much. See, back at Storm's End, uh, Argilac's daughter, Argila, and if I'm getting the names wrong, I'm sorry once again. But Argila, she was in charge now. And now news broke that her father had died, so she was in charge. And so Rainey's is out there with her dragon saying, what do you want to do, sister? What do you want to do? And she says, listen, you are going to have to kill all of us. You're going to have to burn us like in Hall. I'd like to see you try because we're not going to give up. Only problem was all the soldiers and everyone knew that the king was dead and no one really respected her in charge. And they said, listen, we're not going to do we're not going to be put to death the same way that those people at Heron Hall were that we just heard about. No, thank you. So what they do, they tied her up and threw her out as an offering and they all bent the knee and said, no, no, we, we give up here. You can have her. And of course, they were all spared. And then Lady Argolot, she was brought to uh, Ori's Baratheon. He unchained her, untied her. Gave her clothes, gave her food, gave her wine, and talked with her. I thought this part was interesting. He talked with her, told her about how great her father was on the battlefield. And remember, this is a guy that killed her father. Right? Talked about how great he was on the battlefield. And then guess what? He married her. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. He married her, and he, he took the crown stag, became his sigil. And then now, Ori's Baratheon. Uh, was the was the ruler of Storm's End. And that's how the Brathians got their start in Westeros. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay, now Aegon's up. Aegon's got two kings that are teaming up coming after him. Uh the Gardener team uh, uh house from from the high was it uh, uh from High Garden. So the Gardener house from High Garden and then the Lannisters. Uh, I think it's Leon, Leon Lannister. Um, yeah, no, Lauren, Lauren Lannister. Apologize, Lauren Lannister. And so they team up and they they outnumber Aegon five to one. Aegon's like, it's all right. One advantage Aegon had was that he had the small army. He could move faster. So he got in front of these two armies and positioned his his men where he wanted. Now, remember, I said earlier that Aegon's very strategic and smart. And we see it here. He starts setting his people up, but not to... He game plans, but he lets them command. He says, I want you to do, here's the plan. You're going to execute it with these people. You're going to execute with execute it with these people. And you're going to execute it here because guess what? I'm going to be up in the sky. I'm be high up in the sky. I'm going to be watching this, what's going on. So he's setting up his army who is outnumbered five to one. Okay. So him and his sisters are up on their dragons up high and he's leaving Ori's Baratheon and a bunch of his men and, and new bannermen out there facing a tough task. So, the two kings see this, they love their odds, and they charge, and they charge. Now remember, I said that 
he got to, you know, he got to pick where he wanted the battle. Why did he want to battle here? Well, this area that they're in is this field, wheat field, very, very dry, very, very dry, way different than the battle that just happened. So what do they do? Well, his two sisters start lighting up one side of the, of these fields. And you've got, you, they, 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 um, they light up these sides of the fields after, after the army start charging lights up one side of the fields and the wind starts blowing the fire towards the, the charging armies. And then smoke comes also and affects another part of the armies. And then you got Aegon coming in from another side. So now you've got this, basically you got these charging army coming in and they just got engulfed in flames and, and, and destroyed i mean so much so that the battle was named the field of fire all right so it was said that there was four thousand men burned alive right there tens of thousands that were dead or that had severe uh lifelong burns uh that basically they were they they, they couldn't keep fighting that tons of them were injured in this battle another thousand were slain with swords and spears it, it said that they, they lost all these people, you know, thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands that were injured. And it was said that the Targaryens lost less than a hundred. Absolutely insane. That is perfect strategic planning using your dragons when you're outmatched and uh, knowing the arrogance of your, of your uh, opponent. And so the one King from high garden, he was dead. Uh, Lauren Lannister was able to escape, but he was captured later on. And of course, what happens? He gets face to face with Aegon, and Aegon says, "Bend the knee." And Lannister bends the knee, and he goes, "Okay, you're the you know Lord of Castle Rock. Uh, you go back to doing what you're doing." And it, it's just it's just like that. He just doesn't care that he was just you just charged at him, tried to take him out. He doesn't care. All right, go back. You bent the knee. And think about that. The House Lannister could have died that day. Could have died right there. We would have no House Lannister. How crazy is that? So Aegon was on the move. Very quickly after that, you had just taken out the king of Highgarden. He had to get there, hoping that you know they wouldn't put too much of a fight up. And when he gets there, he's expecting a little bit of a battle, but instead, gates are open, and uh, Harlan Tyrell greets him. Harlan Tyrell, Tyrell family greets him. It says, "We surrender. We bend the knee." So, what does Tyrell get? Well, he is now the Lord of the Highgardens. He gets all the land, and House Tyrell gets to rule Highgarden. Remember, they play a very important role going into uh, uh, Westeros in the Game of Thrones series. So kind of interesting how all these people get, get started. They, they kind of just take an opportunity. It's, it's, they see an opportunity and they take it. And also you have the king in Aegon who is a man of his word. And he give, gives people plenty of opportunities to, to benefit their family and, and thrive. And I think we see it not just from like uh, higher ups. I think as we'll get into later into this, the, even the common folk have a great chance to, you know, better themselves under the rule of Aegon. That's what he's selling. He's selling peace, but we'll, we'll get into that more later. So now Aegon really wanted to go down south. He wanted to go take on Old Town, Dorne, go conquer all that land. But he got news that there was an army coming from the north, the Starks. They were coming to challenge him. So he got into position. He put his army where it needed to be, and he waited. And when um, Torrin Stark, King Torrin Stark, showed up, he saw Aegon's army, 
and he saw the three dragons just circling up top. And now, by this point, all the news of, of what had happened to all the other kings, all the other king, kingdoms, Harrenhal, all this stuff, all the stories had reached him. So he knows exactly what's going on. And he's seeing this and he's seeing, man, this guy's able to take out all those. And it doesn't seem like he has that big of an army here. I know he's got three dragons, but he was able to do what to all them? But then he's got his own, you know, his side, the Starks and all his commanders are saying, come on, we can take him. We can go in the middle of the night. We can surprise him. We can do all this. But the Starks are pretty smart. And King Torrin decides to do something instead. He crosses the river himself and he goes and bends the knee to Aegon. And guess what? He saves the lives of all of his all of his uh, men. Saved them all because Aegon, as always, said, okay, now you're the warden of the north. Uh, you know, how Stark will be the warden of the north. And, uh, you know, there there it is. And you can go on doing your business as as you were. And, you know, he was always, Torin was known as the king who knelt after that. But guess what? He was also the king that saved his people's lives. And interestingly enough, something else the book threw into here that I thought was interesting, at least, um, we know that Aegon is obviously collecting swords of the conquered, and eventually it's going to be melted into the Iron Throne. But somehow Starks were able to not get, they were able to save their swords when he knelt. So they actually, the Stark swords never got melted to the Iron Throne, at least according to the book. All right, so next up, Visinia goes to the Vale. Really easy. She just flies in, lands her dragon. I mean, we all know the Vale. Lands her dragon in there, and the queen there is ready to go. But then her son, it's always something with the with the, the little sons, right, uh, in the Vale that are sitting on mommy's lap, jumps down and goes, Mom, a dragon, and runs up to it and says, Can I ride it? And pretty much right there, she bent the knee. The little guy got to go ride around on the dragon a few times. And when he landed, he was a little lord, they said. And that's how easy it was for them, uh, the veil, to bend the knee to Aegon. All right. Rainey's not so much. She, uh, it was a little bit more difficult for Rainey's. She was going down to Dorne to go conquer that area. And she kept going to town, to town, to town, to town. And it just no one was there. No house was there. No nothing. Finally, they got to Sunspear, where they got to House Martell, is where she finally found someone. And then the person that she met was Maria Martell. And Maria was an 80-year-old blind lady, just kind of towards the end of life. It said that she had been ruling there for 60 years. And this is how, how it went between them. She says, I will not fight you, nor will I kneel to you. Dorn has no king. Tell your brother that. I shall, but we will come again, princess. And the next time we shall come with fire and blood. Your words, Princess Maria said. Ours are unbowed, unbent, unbroken. You may burn us, my lady, but you will not bend us, you will not break us, or make us bow. This is Dorne. You are not welcome here. Return at your peril. All right. And so that's what she did. She's like, all right, well, you're going to have to deal with my, uh, my brother. <laughs> Good luck. Aegon, on the other hand, had a lot easier success. When he went to Old Town, and there he met house of the high tower the high towers the oldest wealthiest most respected house in westeros and he was greeted with these they welcomed him in and the reason why is because this is where the high septon is and it said that the high septon uh for seven days before Aegon got there had to sit up and he locked himself in his tower and he had to think he had to think he went back and forth back and forth back and forth and he had a vision and it said that if he, they ended up fighting Aegon, that their city was going to burn it was they were all going to die and it was going to burn so he said, you know what? 
we're going to bend the knee. And that's what they did. This is the high septum. And so three days after Aegon arrived there, the high septum himself crowned Aegon, you know, Lord of the realm, the seven kingdoms, blah, blah, blah. We know the spiel. And there it was. Aegon was the new king of the seven kingdoms. One thing that they noted that I thought was very interesting is that he he was celebrating, obviously. He just got crowned by the High Septon, so he's on the back of Balerion. He's going down the streets, and it's they're saying that the townsfolk, once again, the townsfolk love this guy. They're cheering him on. Why? This guy that they don't know. Is it because he showed so much peace and mercy, or is it? are they tired of the wars? Like I'm saying, are they tired of the constant fighting, or are things so bad that this guy came in and he clearly has changed the game? Now there's hope. Now maybe things can be different. Now maybe whatever corrupt stuff's going on in their lives will get better because there's going to be peace and we've got this guy that's ruling the way he's ruling. You know, I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes forward in these other chapters. And we come to the end of the chapter. And many had thought that he was going to make Old Town right there. That This is his base. This is the, the king's capital. This is where it's going to be. No, 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 no. He did not. It's actually back where him and his sister's first step foot into Westeros on their conquest is where he made his base. And that became known as King's Landing. Huh? And that's how we got King's Landing. And then, of course, it wraps up with saying they took all the swords and they made that, you know, melted it together, and made the Iron Throne. And that's how the chapter ends, you know, and it was pretty good. I liked it. You get a lot of information there about Aegon. And now we're going to get into Aegon's, uh, you know, wars and, and when you, how he ruled in Westeros. I'm very curious about that. But hey, if you've enjoyed this, like I said, this is a new channel. My main goal here is for people that don't have time to read this book. I want to give you a quick run through as best I can of, of the chapters and give you some some of the juicy details about about the Targaryens and the of this book of fire and blood. So if you like this channel, make sure you subscribe, hit like, share this out there, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. I want to hear from you. All right. How can I do this better? Uh, give me some useful criticism, <laughs> right? And uh, I, I'll take it. I'll, I'll listen and I'll, I'll try to make these better. But I think this was a good first one. Uh, I'm excited to do the next one. It was a lot of fun. I'm not looking forward to editing this video, but hey, that's, that's how it is. Till next time, I'll talk to you guys later.